everybody. Welcome to Home Builders. We're going to go ahead and get started. Great. Let's read our verse together. It's Colossians 3, 1 and 2. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Again, this is a series for the family. And I want us to develop faith as individuals and as families. Each of us will go through things in our lives and with our families that we have to trust God for. Mike, you, you, you're dealing, you guys are dealing with a daughter, and by faith, you trust him that she's going to be okay. She's away. And that's, those are, that's a, a great experience. The hardest thing to do, okay, and I, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen, but in all of our lives, what we want to do at times is we want to protect our kids from having to go through challenging experiences. But the, the reality is, is that unless they go through those challenging experiences and learn how to trust God through those challenging experiences, they will never be able to grow, and neither will we. God allows us to go through challenging experiences to learn how to trust in Him. It's not like He's putting those things in our life, but He allows them to. Sometimes He does. Sometimes He doesn't. But He wants us to trust in Him through all of life's circumstances. And you remember story after story in the Bible of, of the disciples going through it. I read this morning, uh, just listening to the disciples as Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side. And there were several boats. And He goes in and He falls asleep in the stern. And all of a sudden, you know, the waves come, the storm comes. Literally, they're afraid that it's going to sink the boat. And they wake up, Jesus, and don't you care? It's like we want to do that too sometimes, don't we? We want to wake up God and say, don't you care? And he gets up and he goes, peace be still. And they're astonished, and they're shocked, and they're scared. They go, what kind of manner of man is this? Why'd they wake him up? <laughs> to be complacent and sit there going, I want to be scared with you. No. He just, he, he spoke, and he handled the situation. And he does that sometimes in our situations, and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he allows us to go through those things for years. And we go, why? And then he goes, do you trust me? Do you trust me? If God is God, if God is love, if God is sovereign, can we trust him? Even when we don't understand. And I think the answer to that, I'm convinced, is yes. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him is believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, last week we started this lesson and I got through the introduction. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the introduction. All right? And we read, and I asked those of you who had the lesson sheet to read these stories in preparation for this week. And some of you were, oh, that's right, you did. And you didn't. That's okay. Um, I'm not going to have a show of hands. Okay. But I, I do want us to look at some things real quickly. 
when a person says they have faith, what do they mean? It can have both a secular and sacred perspective. Secular view is, well, faith is something that's believed without reason. In other words, you don't know it to be true. You can't prove it to be true. It's a rival to reason or that which is verifiable. You know, when they sometimes when they think, and this is not exhaustive by any means. These are this is a preliminary way in which a lot of people who say the Christians have faith. That means that they just believe in something that you know that makes them feel good. It makes them you know think you know if that helps you, that's fine. But you know you can't put God in a test tube. You can't prove He exists. There's no big deal. From a Christian view, faith means to trust or believe something that is verifiable, logical, and reasonable, but not necessarily, I shouldn't put an ad the word in there, necessarily um, scientifically verifiable. Some of it is scientifically verifiable, and I appreciate Gary pointing that out last week, which I think is a good point to make. But in other words, in other words I can believe something that I haven't seen. And, I, and last week I talked about, you know, like Thomas. And Jesus, after he reveals himself to Thomas, and Thomas falls on his face before Jesus, this is my Lord and my God, he believed in him. And Jesus responds, blessed are you who don't see and yet believe. None of you in this room, to my knowledge, have seen Jesus face to face. You may have seen a vision of him, uh, but no one, he, Jesus hasn't left the throne, seated at the right hand of the Father, and, and you know, come down and said, hey, we need to talk. I would love that. Alright? I would love that. Because there's a lot of things I'd like to ask him. Then the question would be, would I be like the disciples and be a man of faith? Okay? What are examples of, and we talk about non-religious things we believe by faith. And, and, and these, it, it, it could be anything. Your car is going to work that, that when you turn on the faucet, the water is going to come out. That when you wake up tomorrow and if you have a job, it will still be there for you. That you'll actually get a paycheck for working. Or, you know, that you, that you are healthy and that you will... I get every morning I wake up and I say, Lord, thank you for the gift of today. Because today is truly a gift. And some of us we should wake up and go, that's what happens. I go to sleep and I wake up. Uh, it, it, there's so many things... That we put our faith in. Why do we put the, our trust in those things? You know, because we've experienced it over and over again. Are they reliable? For the most part, yes, but at times, no. And all of us in this room have experienced things that didn't work out. That you went to your car and it didn't start. Okay? That, I, I, you know, this, this spring, I remember going um, into uh, our office at the university. And I turned on the drinking water to, to get a drink. And brown water came out. And I was like, oh, uh, no. Okay? I assumed it would be fine, but they were working on the line, you know? And so all this, you know, the dirt and everything was going through into the water lines. And they had to take a couple days to clean it all out. What do we do when those things don't come to pass? Well, we do things like... Again, we, we wait, uh, we are proactive, uh, we, we take our car to the mechanic, um, you know, things happen. Uh, tomorrow morning, uh, thankfully, you know, when we were on vacation, uh, we went during spring break to Myrtle Beach, uh, we pulled up to a stop sign and someone behind us didn't 
think about stopping, and so they slammed in the back of us. You know, it happens. And so we finally, you know, after months of working with the, the uh, place, uh, to, collision place to fix it, we're taking it in Monday to get it fixed. It's fixable, right? The parts actually arrived. Woohoo! So we, we tend to be pragmatic. We do what we have to do. And some of us, when we're going through tragedies and tri trials in our life, we do what we have to do. We, we get up and do life. You've got to do that. You've just got to keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going. You keep doing your best. We talk about examples of religious things we believe by faith. Real quick again, what are religious things we believe by faith? The resurrection. The resurrection. I, I've never seen the resurrection. I've never seen Jesus, but I believe he rose from the dead based on good evidence. Or at least good apologetics. I was referring to our resurrection. Our resurrection, okay. We will be raised. We will be raised from the dead. Do you believe that? Yes. <laughs> the existence of God. The existence of God. Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit has come to live within you. Okay, yeah. The Bible is true. The reality of heaven. The, the reality of hell. Which causes us to be proactive and sharing our faith to get people to heaven instead of their destiny of hell. Awesome. What else? The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. My mic now on? Oh, I just figured I had it. No. Loud enough voice. Let's try that again. We can always hear you, Lou. Yeah. We can always hear you. Is, is there anything there? It's on. But it doesn't show me as being on. I mean, the green light's there. Let me, um, let me change. Where's the other mic go? Uh, Oh, maybe Roger. Roger, did you take the mic? Floor. Oh, Will. Oh, Will had it. I got one on the floor. Chest. One, two, four, seven, nine, twelve. Height. Uh, I'm going to go without it. Can you hear me? Perfect. Okay. There are things, though, that we believe by faith. Okay. There are things that we believe by faith that don't come to pass, at least not in the immediacy. Give me examples of things that we trust by faith that don't come to pass. Batteries. Batteries? <laughs> yeah. Spiritual things. The rapture. We, not, we believe that, but it has had an healing. Yeah, we pray for healing like Paul did. Whatever his thorn in the flesh was, and God says, my, my strength is made perfect. You know, your strength is made perfect in weakness. And so, you know, we, he, he says, no, I'm not going to heal you. You know, and sometimes we go through that, we go through that. What else doesn't come to pass? Well, 
we desire to be financially independent. And God says, no, I want you dependent. And we go, no, yes. <laughs> what else? Salvation of a loved one. Salvation of a loved one. That we pray for their salvation and they, they don't come to the Lord. At least, maybe not even in our lifetime. We may not even know about it. Uh, my favorite uncle lived in Hialeah, Florida, would come up. And he was, you know, uh, he, he was a great guy, uh, but never trusted the Lord. And I remember in college writing him a letter, sharing the gospel with him, and never heard a response, and he died shortly after. And it's like, I won't know until I get to heaven and be accepted the Lord or not. I don't know. These things happen. We want things to change. We would love everything to be smooth, but it's not. You know, sometimes we have a... A family member who's wayward from the Lord. And we want and we pray earnestly for them to come back to the Lord. You know, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire was written by Jim Cimbala, whose daughter had went away from the Lord. And he shares that story about eventually where she came back. But it doesn't always happen that way. And these are challenging things. And so the, the thing is about faith. Faith is not something, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God wants us to have faith even though we don't necessarily see the fruit of that faith. And that may be a lifetime. Because otherwise we just get complacent. And so ultimately the bottom line is, is that hey, God wants us the Christian life is one of learning to trust Him. Meaning His ways aren't always our ways. And we may not understand until eternity why that's happened. But we will. Why he's allowed things to occur. Now, we have three examples. And so the rest of the class today is we're going to be talking through these three examples. I read this last time, so I'm not going to read this one. But we understand the story. How many of you are familiar with the story of Esther? Okay. okay. King Xerxes gets rid of Esther's wife. He's looking for another one. They, they say, hey, why don't you find somebody else? And he goes, okay. And you have, you have Esther, and she does everything the way that, um, you know, Mordecai did. And the king's eunuch, Haggai, you know, took care of her and said, this is what you need to do. And the king was like, wow, she's awesome. I, 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 I like her. And we go through that, and he says, she's the best. And then he, he King Xerxes in his normal things, he, he hires, he, he elevates Haman um, but he doesn't like Mordecai. And so he sets up a plan to kill all the Jews. I hate him. I hate them all. And King Xerxes doesn't know what his plot was all about. So ultimately, he just says, okay, kill them. Do what you want to do with them. Okay, great. And, and then he's, you know, he, he gets everything set up even for, uh, you know, he, he, he's going to impale uh, Mordecai and thinks he's all that. And ultimately, they understand this plot. He goes back then to, um, uh, to Mordecai and sends a letter on to, um, to, um, to Esther and says, hey, we got a problem here, okay? So he gets in there and he goes, you got to do this. And she's like, uh-uh. <laughs> if I go to the king without it, we don't go to the king, okay? You, as a woman, even as his wife, 
I don't go to King Xerxes and go, honey, I need something. I got a honeydew list. You know? No. You don't go before the king unless you're called. And if you do, he can have you executed for that. She's like, and he says, sends back to her, Mordecai sends back and says, Esther, don't think just because you're his wife, if, if Haman gets his will wishes, all of us are going to be killed. Or ultimately, the bottom line is, is we're going to be saved by another means. But you know what? God may have you where you are at the right time, at the right place to be used by him. See, he believed, Mordecai believed that salvation was going to come for them from someplace. But he's asking her, are you willing to trust God in the midst of this life or death situation to be used by God? And she says, okay, fast, pray. I'll do the same. And we, let's make this happen. And so these were all the things go on, and they, they went through this. And she says, if I perish, I perish. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be given to you. We know the rest of the story then. So ultimately then, she, she says, hey, let me have a party. And she sets up a party, and she says, invite Haman. He says, what do you want? Let's come back tomorrow. I'm going to have another party for you. Okay. Haman's thinking, I am hot stuff. The king and me, I'm the one who's being the honored guest. And ultimately then, so the king and Haman went to Esther, Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked again, Queen Esther, what is your petition that we give you? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Man, did he love her. How God had put her in a position with him. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and have pleased you, grant me my life. Now imagine King Xerxes at that point going, what are you talking about? We know what happened. She finally reveals that Haman has got, had created this plan to kill all the Jews, and I'm one of them. And he's ticked off and walks out. He goes out onto the balcony, and he leaves basically Queen Esther and Haman there. And then Haman, she, she later, she's reclining on the couch. She's sitting on the couch. And Haman comes in and basically is on, on top of her going, please, please, get me out of this situation. And King Xerxes comes in and goes, are you going to molest my wife too? All right. Impale him on the safe hold that he was going to impale Mordecai. But that wasn't it. The story doesn't end there, okay? As soon as the word was left, they covered Haman's face. They, they, they impaled him on it, and he's done. But he says, then, okay, Mordecai, what do you guys want? You've got to send a letter out now because... They're planning on killing all these Jews. And he still had to go out. They still had to send messengers out. All over, stop this. And ultimately, it took place. Esther was a woman of faith, even if it meant her death. Okay? What were the different ways Esther's faith, uh, Esther exhibited faith? 
How did she show her faith? She fasted. She believed that Mordecai was giving her good advice. She had to say something, even though she didn't necessarily want to say it because that put her life in, in danger. She prayed. She prayed. She believed. She obeyed. She obeyed. Yeah. She asked others to pray for her. Yeah, she asked others. She, she, she says, you know, I can't do this alone. Even not just herself, but she had all of her maidens fast with her for three days. And then also Mordecai and all the Jews. Get everybody to fast. What else? Yeah, well. She, she had been politically placed. She had faith that was ordained for her. Yeah, she had to believe that God had her at this place politically for such a time as this. Even before this. Yeah, go ahead. She believed that her actions were important regardless of the outcome. Absolutely, that's a great point. She believed that her actions were what? Important. Important. Okay. She even trusted the unit. Remember? Who got her ready for the king? This is what I want you to do. And she trusted him. How many times do you go, oh, what the world are you telling me about beauty secrets for? <laughs> what do you know about this? Did exactly what, I mean, there are so many times she's exhibited faith throughout her life. What steps did she take before approaching the king? Some of you mentioned them. Yeah. So basically, doing things step by step. Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, yeah. What else did she she do? What steps? She she prayed. She asked for prayer. She fasted. Okay. Is you know we talk about fasting, but do we practice fasting for important things? You know. It's a spiritual discipline. When the king honored her request, was the work done? No. No. She's like, I, 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 I'd say, great. But the Jews weren't. The, the plans had already been set out to kill them. They had to stop them before that occurred. You see, in other words, sometimes when we when we're excited about God answering your prayer, there's still work to be done. Bob. And I think it's important to know that the um, that they could not stop or they could not reverse the uh, what that letter had said because of it, just because of the way the politics were that day, you couldn't stop it. Once it's been done, you, you couldn't reverse it. So they took the other step of saying, okay, can't reverse this, but 
So basically, the letter said, hey, because you can't change. When the king says, you can, you can kill him. And now the Jews have a right to defend themselves. And he's given them permission. And what ended up happening? Who were defeated? The enemies of the Jews. The enemies of the Jews. And they were saved. Peter. Now think about this. We know the story as well. With faith. Believing. In our own life. A man of fear that turned to faith. Okay? In all of our lives, there are times when our faith produces is a faith is fear. We're afraid of what can happen. We don't know things. We are fearful of the future, etc. Luke 2, uh, 22, 31 to 34, and several passages thereafter. Simon, Simon, Satan is Jesus speaking to him. Ask to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Wow. Can you imagine Jesus praying for you that your faith may not fail? I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail. And Jesus is praying for you today for the same thing. He's praying that your faith does not fail. And when you have turned back, <laughs> this is interesting, and when you turn back, he's already predicting what Peter's going to do. Strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. So he said, yeah, I, I'm going to do this. I can go to prison for you. I can go to death for you. Then seizing him, they led him away, Jesus being, and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and with some there, he kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and he sat, sat down together. Peter sat down with him. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. Man, I am not, he replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Have you ever been there? Have you ever willingly sinned when you knew you shouldn't and you can feel the Lord just looking right at you? Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Acts 2, 1-4, 14-15. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven. And you remember the story before this, right? Where Jesus meets him having fish. And three times he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? And Peter gets upset. And he's, you know, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. The violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Enabled them. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, 
And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, Acts 2, 36 to 41. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Did Peter believe he was willing to go to prison or die for Jesus? Yeah. Why? Why do you think he was willing, you know, in his mind, he believed that he was strong enough to handle persecution? Yeah, at, at that time, that's what he believed. He felt that until he was hit with the reality of Gary. He knew that Jesus believed in him. He's the rock. Yeah. So he thought that meant that he wouldn't be weak or make any mistakes. So yeah. he was probably a little overconfident. Exactly. He probably was a little overconfident. As I think at times we are. When, we're, it, it, when you're at a spiritual high, you, you, you feel like you can do anything. You get alone and tempted. And remember that. Was Peter with a group of disciples? What was he? He was alone. Let me tell you, when you isolate yourself, it's easy to fall into that temptation mind. Well, the other thing is, too, is the experience that he had at that point. Because in every other instance where the, where the Pharisees or anybody else came at Jesus, Nothing ever happened to Jesus. He always walked through the crowd, or he, you know, disappeared went somewhere else, or so nothing ever really happened. But this case, so he, when he said that, he's probably like, "Oh yeah, I'll be with you because you know, everything, you know, it's awesome. We got this." And then next thing you know, the people come and they take him and put him in chains and lead him away, and he's following at a distance, going, "Wait a minute, Jesus isn't getting out of this." And then people start asking him, "So you were the two, right?" And then, so the situation had changed as well, yeah. right, from what he had seen in the past. Absolutely. He's now feeling this for the first time, the real testing of his faith. But isn't that sometimes how the person who is saved in the prison, because everything's going to be great, he doesn't have it. Yep. But it doesn't mean he doesn't have it, but it doesn't mean everything's going to be great either. Yeah, the Lord, yeah, that's right. times when we haven't experienced true testing. We're good. But, but then when we go through it, how do we respond? Can we trust them in that time? How was Peter's faith tested? And did he exhibit faith? Yeah. Well, one of the points is that he's the only one of the disciples that went, I don't know, John was there too, but 
he was the only one of the disciples that was hanging out in the courtyard. The rest of them didn't even have the faith to come inside. So in a way, you know, his faith was displayed at the same time that we see that it's totally lacking to deny Christ sometimes. Yeah. But but there was something there that put him wanting to be where Jesus was and see what was happening. And and a lot of times when we we have to remember where Peter was at at this point. Peter was not filled with the Spirit. He was looking at it from an really from an earthly perspective, and when we go through things from an earthly perspective. We can be strong in one time and then very weak in the next. It's only by God's sovereign power of the Spirit that we can move on positively. Did Peter become a man of faith right away after his failure? No. What happened after the resurrection? Okay. John 21, 1 to 3. Someone read that for me. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Think about what's going on here now. So Jesus rose from the dead. They've already seen him. But still, we're talking days here. And it's like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back fishing. All right, we'll join you. They went back to what they were familiar with. They went back to what they knew. It's, it, his faith wasn't strong right away, even after failure. You know, he, 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 he felt bad, but ultimately he's like, Lord, what do you want me to do here? Jesus tested it. And that's been the story of John 21, 15 to 17. We won't read for time's sake. But he says, Lord, do you, it is Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And people have speculated, in my opinion, it's very simple. I think he's talking about the fish. You know? Do you love me more than these? Because that's what Peter wanted to go back and do. Maybe it was the buddies. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of a funny scenario when you think of all the disciples that were there. Peter was the one that was wet. Because he loved Jesus so much that he jumped in and you know, kind of swam over to him before the rest you know, didn't want to get their robes wet and waited until they rode their way over. So sopping wet Peter's like, um, yeah, <laughs> clearly I, I do love you. But clearly it's deeper, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's trying to go through this process in his life. Do you love me? And he says, yes. And we know that the wording for Peter here uh, is love. And he's not agape, using the word agape love. He's just using Paleto love, you know, familial, family type of love. How did Peter exhibit faith at Pentecost? And how many people were saved? How did, how did he exhibit faith at Pentecost? He spoke straight up. Yeah, he spoke exactly the way it was. This man, whom you crucified, is dead and buried, rose again. Repent of me and be baptized. For the forgiveness of your sins. And 3,000 were saved that day. Imagine the baptism at that church on that day. <laughs> Stand in line, folks. We get 20, 25 years. I'm like, wow, that took a while. He went back, I think he went back to fishing also because that was 
Exactly. Absolutely. He, he did what he was comfortable with. In the, in the past, Jesus was the one who did all the preaching. Yeah. Jesus was the one who always did the teaching. Now he's exhibiting faith by doing it himself. And God's taking him to the next level. Luke, it's a, it's a good lesson to us because as someone mentioned, he was really uh, courageous when Jesus was with him, right? But when he was alone, he wasn't courageous. Well, we know that the Holy Spirit was given. So all of a sudden, it's like Peter's with, with the Lord again. So yeah. we, we actually see in that in what happens, he becomes very courageous. So we know as New Testament believers that the reason we can be courageous, the reason we can know that we're really never alone, is because we actually have the Holy Spirit who is with us. So while I agree it would be great to see Jesus and walk with him, we're taking for granted the part that we do have the Holy Spirit with us at all times. And Jesus even said, it's better that I go away. Because I'm only with you a certain amount of time for the waiting hours, but I'll send a comforter that'll be with you all the time. Yep. All the time. God's with us all the time. Now, you also know this story, and if you read it, you understand it. So I'm not going to take the time to read it all. But here you have Elijah with the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal gather together, and they build two altars. And he says, all right, call on the God of fire, because that's who he was. Okay, this is your God of fire. This is a God of fire, Baal. And so he, he ultimately is like, okay, call up. We're, we're good with that. And then throughout the day, he, nothing's happening. They continue calling out to their God. Nothing's happening. Nothing happens. And then ultimately, he says, you know, hey, come on. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe sleeping, maybe awaking. Must be waiting. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves. They start gutting themselves, thinking this sacrifice will make him react to us. And nothing happens. And then also he said, basically, come on here to me. They came and he repaired the altar, which had been torn down, took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descending from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around each one, and it had to pour water on top. We know the story. Okay? He did it three times. He pours water on wood. Now, I don't know about you, but if you put water on wood, it's not going to burn. Right? It's, it's like, oh boy, what's going to happen here? And then at sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also lift up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate, crying, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. prophets of Baal, Elijah commanded, don't let them get away. And they took him down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. But we know what happens next. Ahab the king then tells Jezebel what happened to her prophets. And she's ticked off and says, I'm going to kill Elijah. And Elijah runs for his life. He hides under a broom tree, a bush, and fell asleep. All at once, the angel touched him at the bottom. He says, 
Get up and eat. The word of the Lord came to him again. What are you doing here, Elijah? But oh, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now you're trying to, they're trying to kill me too. Oh, man. Lord said, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, you know, Hezeel, king of Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king of over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, and Abel, Beholah, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will be put to death, and you escape the sword of Hezeel, and Elisha will be put to death, and then you escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. You're not alone. Okay? So here's the bottom line. Here you have Elijah believing in God. Before this, we know he actually, well, well, I'll get to here for a second. How did Elijah exhibit faith on Mount Carmel? Real quick, for time's sake. He set up a showdown. He set up a showdown between the prophets of Baal and God. Okay? How did he have faith before and after this event? Before this event, what did he ask God to do? Stop the what? Stop the rain for three and a half years. Stop the rain and hold off the rain for three and a half years. And he prayed that God blessed him. Okay? Then he goes and he does this miraculous event before the people. And I've been on that mountain. It's an incredible place. To see also then right over, this is that, in the valley below it is where the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. It's unreal to look at that valley and to see what the scriptures say regarding it. What happened to the prophets of Baal? Just like God's enemies at Armageddon, they were slaughtered down the valley. Just like the... Their armies in the battle of Armageddon against God, they would be slaughtered. And they were. How did Jezebel react to the news? <laughs> Not well. These are my prophets. They're dead. I'm going to kill them. Now, why would Elijah be afraid and want to die? I'm going to answer some things. Was this fear real? What do you think? Absolutely. Jezebel was a wicked woman. He knew what she was about. What about these prophets of Baal? They, he, he didn't fear them because he believed in God. How did the Lord respond to him and encourage him? I, I'm going to give this to you in a nutshell so we can leave and you can get to wherever you need to go. But here's the point this is my belief. Elijah had just spent the entire day. He's exhausted. The prophets of Baal are dead. He's weakened. He's hungry. And he feels alone. And finds out someone wants to kill him. He's afraid. But he's weak. Let me just say this. When you don't take care of your body, when you're not getting rest, when you're not eating right, you will tend to make sinful choices. 
it's easier when you're tired and exhausted and worn out Satan can come on the attack some of you moms you understand that your patience gets frazzled and you do things that you would not never normally do when you go through those circumstances it's because you're tired and you're exhausted we do this in our and men in our jobs and life and we get weak and that's what happened and what did God respond to? If you look at that entire story, he's hiding. And basically God says, get up and eat. He does it twice, actually. Wake up and eat again. You're not alone, Elijah. Be strengthened. Be strengthened in the Lord. You can trust in him. And God uses that type of circumstances, even in our own lives. We have to be careful. When you get weak and you get tempted, you're not alone. Brothers and sisters, when you get to the place where you're wanting to fear, don't run from God. Run to Him and to people of faith. Get together with friends. Call them. Hang out with them. Pray together. Encourage one another. Support one another. Help one another. That's what the body of Christ is for. So that even though we legitimately may be afraid, we can trust in Him together. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, may we and our families learn to trust you by faith, to, to apply the truths of your word, and the stories of our past. That you've given to us in your word to teach us to trust you. And when we're tired, we feel all alone. Help us not to isolate ourselves more, but to run to you and to brothers and sisters in Christ who will lift us up and build us up. In Jesus' name, amen. I love y'all. Have a great weekend.